At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. First and foremost, business owners don't think about selling their business. They're so busy working in it instead of on it. And most business owners have really created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. And so business owners don't think about selling their business until a catastrophic event occurs that can be internal or external. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, everyone. We're back with another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. My guest today is Michelle Seiler Tucker. Michelle is the founder and president of Seiler Tucker. It's a company that specializes in selling businesses. Michelle, for over 20 years now, has experience in the M&A industry. She is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, and growing businesses. She has sold over 500 businesses to date and currently owns and operates several successful companies herself. Michelle is passionate about helping entrepreneurs exit rich and maximize the value of their company. In this episode, we talk about why it's never too early to start thinking about exiting your business. The six Ps of building a scalable and sellable business. The importance of innovation and marketing for your company's success. And lastly, how having a mentor will help you reach your goals faster. Now, as someone myself who sold two businesses, Michelle just dropped so many gold nuggets in this podcast that if you own a business, I encourage you to listen to this and just soak up the wisdom that Michelle shares. So let's get started. Let's talk with Michelle. Thanks. Hey, Michelle, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Tyler. How are you? Good, good. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I love the topic of exiting businesses, and that is your world. That's what you're a master at. Can we talk a little bit about what you do now? Sure. So exiting businesses is great. Exiting rich is even better. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Michelle Seller Tucker, Merchants and Acquisitions Master Intermediary. I um, senior business analyst, a certified Merchants and Acquisitions uh, professional, plus a bunch of other acronyms behind my name that we won't get into because it's not really relevant. I have been in this industry a little over 20 years. That is relevant. We, I personally have sold over 500 companies. My firm altogether has sold probably over a thousand. You know, I haven't taken count lately, but it's a lot. And we sell businesses in pretty much every vertical. And what makes us really unique and stand out from everyone else 
is we don't just sell businesses. We specialize in buying, selling, fixing, and growing. So I partner with business owners, investing my money, my core competencies, my resources, and really put them on a road to sell program and get their business ready so they can exit for their desired price tag. We you know, have bought businesses and flipped them. Like I said, we sell them. We have a road to sell program where we're really helping business owners to get that business ready. And we merge businesses together. So I think another thing that makes us truly unique is I have a lot of business experience because I run businesses. I'm an entrepreneur on many different companies in different verticals, and I'm always building up businesses to sell as well. So that kind of sets us apart from other m and advisors. Yeah. So you actually, you'll take a stake in the business. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, I'll take an equity position. That's awesome. And, and what, what would be a timeline that someone comes to you and says, Hey, Michelle, I want to exit someday. I'd like to exit rich. I forgot to mention that part. That's key. <laughs> uh, what, what would that look like? Or what, what, how do you set expectations with them? Is that a seven-year run, a 10-year run, a two-year run? It really depends. You know, my, my sweet spot is three to five years. Okay. Now, sometimes that doesn't always work because I always say that you'll never be able to grow the, the business beyond what you can grow the owner. So. I have a partnership where I'm with a husband and wife. <laughs> and we've been in business for several years. And we're, you know, really wanting to sell for about 20 to $30 million. We're getting there, but it's been a short road. And the reason for that is because the owners are growing. So, like I said, you know, you'll never grow a business beyond what you can grow the owner. But I'd like to get out within three to five years. I really don't like to hold past, I would say past seven. Is that the exclusive way you sell businesses is you'll have a stake equity or is it, is it possible someone will come to you and you'll you'll list it and help them through this? Oh, sure. Okay. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Our bread and butter really is us selling companies. Got like it. I said, I personally have sold over 500 companies. My, my firm altogether has probably done over a thousand. I'd have to... Wow. You know, I don't know how I go back and count for the last 20 plus years, but it's been a, a tremendous amount of businesses sold. I don't partner with a lot of business owners. It has to be the right industry. It has to be a niche. It has to be the right owners. I got to make sure I can grow the owners because if you don't grow the owners, you'll never grow the business. Right. So, man, with 500 to 1,000 businesses, you've seen a lot of things. Everything. I could only imagine. And, and I've heard that oftentimes, I think it's something like 90% of businesses actually they get listed, don't sell somewhere around there. What's yep. the cause for that? What causes like 90% of the businesses not get sold? So Steve Forbes, who endorsed my book, Exit Rich, Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. m and Source, which is a leading industry association, states that 90% will never sell. So rather it's 80 or 90, it doesn't matter. It's a lot. <laughs> Right. And it's a huge wake-up call for business owners because that means you have less than a 10 to 20% chance of selling your company. Why is that? There's many reasons for that. First and foremost, business owners don't think about selling their business. They're so busy working in it instead of on it. And most business owners have really created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. And so business owners don't think about selling their business until a catastrophic event occurs that can be internal or external. Internal could be health issues, partner disputes, divorce, death. External is this pandemic that we've been in for the last two, two years. So that's a big reason why they don't sell. It's because a business owner will call me up and say, I want to sell. I, I want to sell for $10 million. Well, how'd you come up with $10 million? Well, that's what I need to retire on. Well, that's what I need to end the next phase of, of my life on. So the problem is, it's not only that businesses are not sellable because business owners haven't built a sellable asset. 
you know, that, that functions on all six P's that we'll get into in a minute. But it's also that they haven't built a sellable asset for the price tag that they need to enter the next phase of their life. So a lot of times we'll say, you know, I'll tell a business owner, look, the business is worth a million. It's not worth 10 million. Well, fine, I'll just hold on to it. Then it goes worse. It gets worse and ends up selling for pennies on the dollar, close their business, or even worse, file bankruptcy. So business owners can't wait till a catastrophic event occurs. You have to start planning. I call it your GPS exit model, really from the beginning of starting your company. It's like Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. And I know it's difficult to wrap your head around selling your business when you begin, but you got to build that sellable asset. It's kind of like when you go into business, you say, here's my widget. Here's my target market. I'm going to build my widget to my specific target market. I'm not going to be everything to everybody, but I'm going to figure out what is the criteria for this this target market. I'm going to make sure that I build this widget to meet their specific criteria. Your business is your your widget. You need to grow your business to sell to the types of buyers that are going to be willing to pay you top dollar when you're ready. There's five different types of buyers. So the biggest thing we talk about in Exit Rich in the beginning is to get crystal clear on your GPS exit model. Get crystal clear and then figure out what your seller sanity check is. And sellers are not doing it. They're selling in panic. They're selling because of panic versus selling because they're actually planning to sell their business. That's one of the saddest things I see too, is when I work with a new business owner, and I'll even mention the thought of exiting someday, they'll get white like a ghost. So I have no thoughts about that. That's 30 years from now or whatever. And then you find someone later down the road gets cancer, God forbid, or a wife gets or spouse gets cancer. And it creates this catastrophic event where everything changes now and they haven't adequately prepared to be able to exit their business. What do you say to someone? Does someone come to you Do you ever get into conversations way before they're even thinking about exiting and trying to help them along that path? And what do you say to them if so? Well, that's what I'm trying to change. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to change the business landscape because most business owners say what you just said. Like, oh, I'm not planning to sell for 20, 30, 40 years down the road. But here's the bottom line. You don't plan for a heart attack. You don't plan for cancer. You don't plan for a divorce. Right. But stuff happens. Shit happens. I don't know if I can say it on your show, but I just did. <laughs> you know, it happens. So therefore, you should always be ready. Always be ready to sell. I'll give you a perfect example. I had a woman call me from Dallas and she was just heartbroken. She said, my husband died from a heart attack. He was in his 40s. Whoever think you're going to die in your 40s from a heart attack, but it happens. And she said, I'm in debt. There's a you know pile of debt here. Can you please sell this business? We had a construction company. He didn't function on all six Ps. In fact, he probably functioned on maybe one or two. He had no people. He only had 1099 independent contractors. There were no processes. All the data was in his head. So when he died, the business died. So we always have to prepare our business to be ready for sale no matter when, because you never know what's going to happen and you want to set your loved ones up for success, not for failure. So this poor lady is going to file bankruptcy now. Yeah. That is sad. And she knows nothing about the business. So you always got to think about that. You got to think about, you know, planning it now. You should always be ready. It's kind of like I live here in New Orleans. We're always ready for a hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) We're always ready. We have a box. We have our stuff. We know what we're going to do. We know where we're going to go. People know what they're going to do with their pets. You always have to be ready. And I'm trying to change that landscape for business owners because most business owners are not ready. Right. One thing I try to say 
whenever I'm talking with a business owner, is I say, if you plan for your business to be sold someday, you're running it optimally. And you want to run your business optimally anyway. I mean, this the side benefit, the side byproduct is, that, oh, by the way, you could sell it someday. But if you're approaching it from the get-go to run it op- optimally, which means yep. processes, developing people and things like that, you kind of end up in that spot anyway. You mentioned the six Ps. I'm curious, can we talk about those? What's involved in the six Ps? Can we go through that those six points? Sure. But what you're saying is, is a thousand percent correct. I say this over and over and over again, because... Clients will say, well, I don't want to sell my business. I say, so what? You want a better business, don't you? Right. And if you, <laughs> and if you want to sell it one day, at least you'll have a business that will be ready to sell. So Exit Rich is all about building a sustainable business that can run without you, that is scalable, that is sellable one day. And the biggest problem that business owners get into is they're just so busy working in the business instead of on the business. So we're trying to build the infrastructure. The first P is, is people. And you don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. And this is the biggest challenge for most companies is people. Yeah. Most business owners are working in their business, not on their business. And like I said, a lot of business owners have a job versus a business and they are tied to their business. I just talked to an owner the other day. So Michelle, sure I haven't taken a vacation in nine years. I wow. talked to another one that says, I'm missing my kid's soccer game. I'm missing my kid's gymnastics. I'm missing this, missing that. Don't we go into business for ourselves to have more quality of time, to have freedom to do the things that we love so we're not missing out on life? Well, business owners are getting stuck working in their business. So you really have to build a team. One of the biggest issues with entrepreneurs is they think that they can do it all. We really have to, they want to have their, their hand in every pot. We have to identify our strengths And how are our weaknesses? Identify our strengths, how are our weaknesses? We're not good at everything. Most entrepreneurs are not even good at management or leadership. Right. You know, so we have to also get the right people in the right seat. And we have to ask the who question. Who opens the door? Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, manufacturing, distribution, quality control? The list goes on and on. The clue here, Tyler, is that you should never be next to the who because we're trying to build this business to run without you. And the number one business reason that businesses are not sellable is because a business is a thousand percent dependent upon that owner. If I pluck the owner out of that business, there is no business. And this is just not for small business either. I want to make this crystal clear. We're selling a $55 million company right now, over $10 million in EBITDA, 350 employees. The company cannot run without the owner. The owner has his hands in every pot and the owner has the client relationships. So we're going to sell a percentage of it, 80%. So you really have to make sure that you have the right leadership team. You have the right department heads. You have the right management team in place. So people is number one. Number two is product. Product is your product, your service, your industry. You have to ask yourself, is your product on the way up? Do you have an Amazon and you're in your prime? Or do you have a blockbuster and you're about to go out of business? You always want to sell when you're in your prime. The reason that 90% of businesses are not selling is because business owners are selling when they're about to go out of business or they're selling when the business is trending down or they're in the middle of a catastrophe. I'm just going to tell you really quickly, when I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned that startups were at great risk. 98% of startups within the first one to five years will go out of business, 98%. Now that's nothing new. Everybody knows that. Right. But here's what most business owners don't know. When I did the research for Exit Rich, I was flabbergasted 
because I actually have my team do it over and over and over again. Even my co-author, Sharon Lecter, says, are you sure? <laughs> so we went back and figured out, we went back and did the research and realized that only 30% of startups are going out of business. Startups are not the problem anymore. Startups are not at great risk. Existing businesses are. Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of them are going out of business. Wow. 70. Now you hear about those, the big, you know, the big box companies in the media, like Toys R Us and Business 75 years goes out of business. Godiva Chocolate closes down 1,200 locations. Even Starbucks is in trouble. You know, so there's all these different businesses that are going out of business. But guess what? The media doesn't talk about private companies. Right, right. Why do you think that is though? What creates that shift that, you know, and I noticed this from your book, you brought it up, is that at the five-year point, it used to be, we used to think, hey, that was a big threshold for failure. Now we're saying 10 years. What's causing that shift in your mind? So it's not so much that that was a threshold for failure. It's that startups were undercapitalized. Okay. Startups will come with, they will come, they will start a business that's not unique. Because, you know, they always have, I call it the dreamer mentality in my book. <laughs> They're dreamers. Like, have you ever seen the movie Field of Dreams? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Build it, they will come. So they start another coffee shop. There's already 10 coffee shops within a half a mile radius. They start an ice cream store. They start, you know, a pizzeria. They're starting other types of similar businesses. So here's the shift. Yeah. Entrepreneurs, especially the younger entrepreneurs that are starting businesses, are not starting brick and mortar. They're looking around the world and they're looking at the problems that exist and they're looking at how to solve those problems. So they're more solution-oriented. They do their due diligence. And because they're not brick and mortar, it doesn't take as much working capital in some in most cases. The reason that 70% of businesses are going out of business after 10 years is for one reason and one reason only. Mm -hmm. And it's called lack of AIM. A-I-M. AIM is always innovate and market. They stop innovating. Look at Blockbuster. They did nothing new. Right. They had the opportunity to buy Netflix. They sat back and did nothing. Look at Toys R Us. They didn't do anything new in 75 years. So businesses have life cycles just like humans do. It goes from the incubator to death. <laughs> and you got to <laughs> see what cycle you're in. Right. And so you really always have to innovate and always market. If you don't, you're going to lose market share. So that's what, that's what product is. You always need to innovate, always market. And then number three is processes. Processes... And I know you love talking about processes because they are really, you know, I mean, it's the foundation of your company. When you want to build a house, what do you do? You hire a contractor as lots of experience in building the infrastructure. <laughs> if you don't have the proper infrastructure to that house, your house is going to fall apart, right? Same thing with your business. So processes are those processes, those systems. But most business owners get this wrong. Most business owners look at their business and they design their processes around the owner's agenda. Let me give you a perfect example. Doctor's offices. What are their hours? Uh, Monday through Thursday. <laughs> nine to five or nine right, to right, four, right? right? Or right. 10 to three. Right. Drives me crazy. Right. My husband and I own medical clinics. So we really pay attention to customer experience and we're open evening hours and half a day on Saturday because we are not thinking about our own agenda. We're thinking about our patients. So all business owners have to go ask themselves or ask their clients even better, what are the three things you want to experience when doing business with us? McDonald's. Did you ever watch the movie, The Founder? Oh, yeah. Great, great, great movie. Great movie, right? Back in 1940s, McDonald's brothers said, we want to build a fast food restaurant because there wasn't any. And we want to build the processes, a fast food process around 
what we want our clients to experience. We want them to experience hot food that's great tasting, fast, 30 seconds or less, right? Those processes are why you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the same experience. But yet you look at all of us starting businesses today, how many business owners actually ask, what do we want our clients to experience? If you don't create a wow experience for your clients, you're going to lose market share. It's that simple. Now, I do have a question. How involved do you get as far as... I assume if you have an equity ownership, I know the answer to this because you're very involved. You you now have a piece of ownership. But how involved do you get with your clients in terms of of talking about those things and helping them improve the value of their business while they're working with you? If you don't have an equity position, do you help them do that? Or is that just solely... A thousand percent. Now, if we're selling the business... Uh-huh. You know, we do we do look at that. We do talk about that because our valuations are based upon not just the EBITDA, which is earnings, preferential tax, depreciation, amortization. It's also based upon the six Ps. So we look at it and we tweak what we can, but we're also selling it. So there's only so much you can do in that time cycle. We do have a road to sell program. And in our road to sell program, we're actually taking our clients through each one of these six Ps and really strengthening our business and having them go back and say, okay, what do we want our clients to experience? You know, things of that nature. So it's really important to figure that out because if you don't figure it out, if you don't figure that out, your processes are not going to change the client experience. So you have to have processes. You have to have SOPs. You know, we're selling a $100 million manufacturing company and they've got a tremendous amount. They got 12 different divisions. 12 different actual locations. And some of them don't have processes. Some of them don't have SOPs. So it's very, you need employee contracts. You need non-competes. You need all of this stuff because yes, you have to have people, but you need the processes for the people to be efficient at what they're doing in your company. Make sense? Yep, totally. You you kind of want to set your business up on autopilot almost. Makes sense. So proprietary is the fourth P. Now I'm going to give you a quick crash course on valuations. Okay. So valuations are typically based on a multiple of EBITDA, unless you're tech, unless you're a SaaS company. SaaS companies typically get a multiple of revenues. So businesses that have under a million dollars in EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, will typically trade anywhere from one, three, three and a half, depending upon your proprietary assets. Businesses over a million dollars in EBITDA will typically start at five and go up. Again, depending upon your proprietary assets. So your goal is to get the businesses over a million dollars in EBITDA, number one, because there's more buyers. And that's another reason why 80 to 90% businesses don't sell. It's because a lot of these businesses are under a million dollars in EBITDA. All the buyers are up at a million and plus in EBITDA. Get your business over a million dollars plus in EBITDA and you're going to have a tremendous amount of uh, buyers. So proprietary synergies, assets can take you from a five to six to eight to 10 to 15, even to 20 in some cases. There's six pillars here. I'm going to do it really quickly. The other two pieces are are, are quick. So number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your business for as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? (laughs) No. But the biggest brand in the world is, do you know, I like, I like to tell the story because it gets people's minds really going. The more well-branded you are, the more money you will make in the sale of your company. Biggest brand in the world is? I would assume Amazon. It's the other A. Uh, oh, Apple. Okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that makes sense. A. Yeah. 
Amazon's in the top 10, but there's they're nowhere close to Apple. Really? Yeah. Apple's brand is worth $389 billion. Yeah. The company's worth trillions. Yeah. And that's just for the brand alone. So it's really important to build your brand, not just your personal brand. You have to build your company brand too. Trademarks are huge. Trade, you know, a lot of business owners, a mistake that they make is they come up with a name and they go to GoDaddy and are like, yes, we got the dot com. <laughs> and then they go to the state of California, Texas, wherever they happen to live in, and they get the trademark. But here's what they don't do. They don't check the federal database to make sure that name is available. Right. And I've seen businesses in business 5, 10, 15, 20 years and all of a sudden receive a cease and desist letter and they have to stop using that company name. They usually hire an attorney. They throw a lot of money at the problem and the problem doesn't go away. So get a federal trademark, just not on your company name, but on your logo, on your slogan, on your products. I mean, we have a client that's selling products. Each product has a federal trademark. And each one has exclusivity to Target, to Walmart, to TJ Maxx. So get those federal trademarks. They're huge. The other big thing is patents. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, Shark Tank always asks, right? Do you have a patent? Do you have a utility patent? Do you have a patent pending? We sold a company that wasn't really making much money. We sold it for $18 million because they had 18 patents. So we're talking about synergies right now. And then contracts, vendor contracts, manufacturing, distribution contracts, franchisor that has franchisees, client contracts are the most valuable. The biggest mistake, Tyler, that business owners make is they don't have that transferability clause that says this contract is transferable upon a new asset, upon a new company. 98% of sales are asset sales. 98%. If you don't have transferability in your contracts, then you have to go to your client and get consent to transfer. But if you have a bunch of clients, that's difficult to do. Plus, now your customers know you're selling your company, not a good move. <laughs> we have a seller that's got 2,000 clients. He has to go to every single one of those. Yeah. Yeah. We got caught on the transferability of the contract on a couple large clients that, that yeah, wasn't ideal. So I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then databases are big. You know, a lot of clients tell me, oh, Michelle, I'm good. I got a million followers. You don't got anything. <laughs> that's Instagram. <laughs> that's LinkedIn. That's Facebook. Right. You know, you have to set up a funnel where you can you can grab that traffic and you know get them into your system. But Facebook paid nineteen billion dollars for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. But they had a synergy. They had a billion users. So build your database. Celebrity endorsements. We have a client that's working with Oprah. Competitors are strategists will pay a lot of money for that because everybody wants to be in front of Oprah. Sure. You know, same thing with radio. We call this digital real estate. Whenever you have radio personalities, TV personalities, and they're endorsing your product, they can only endorse one product, one vertical at a time. Otherwise, they lose credibility. So one, one more thing I wanted to say about proprietary, don't keep your intellectual property in the same corporation as your main company. Because if you get sued, then you could lose all of your proprietary assets. So always have a separate corporation to house those in. Um, the other big thing that people are getting sued over right now is if you hire an intern, an independent contractor, somebody like that that is not an actual employee to develop your videos, to develop the content, have a contract that's crystal clear on who owns the content. Because companies are hiring in, independent contractors, Elance, all of these different sites, and they don't have a contract saying that company owns it. So then when the developer of that content sees that the company is doing great, on their content, they sue for it. 
If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. Because companies are hiring independent contractors, Elance, all of these different sites, and they don't have a contract saying that company owns it. So then when the developer of that content sees that the company is doing great on their content, they sue for it. And then, Michelle, just to uh, intervene here, does a lot of this stuff, these dotting of I's and crossing of T's, I guess is what I'll call it, do these come up in due diligence and does it potentially cause the deals to die if something like that, you know, technology was developed and we don't have protection because it was some freelancer or they may even have some ownership? Does that kill a deal? Does that, yep. do you see that happen? thousand percent. That, deals die every day in due diligence. Wow. And that's why you really have to have a, a really seasoned M&A, mergers and acquisitions expert because we do our due diligence up front. We want to make sure, I mean, we're not going to gather all the documents, and everything that a buyer is going to do, but we want to make sure that you own those assets. We want to make sure there's no pending lawsuits. We want to make sure that there's no content that was developed by somebody else that you don't have a contract for. We want to make sure that your contracts are transferable. And I will tell you, I've never met an owner in 20 plus years that actually has the right transferability clause. So you want to make sure all of this up front, but, you're, but yes, Deals die and deals die because the the stuff wasn't bought up front. And a lot of times it's not it most it's not it's not our fault. And the reason it's not our fault is because we tell everything we know. We tell our clients, give us the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, every deal has hair on it. We want to show the skeletons in your closet up front. So if we give it to buyers up front, then they're prepared for it. If you come back later, then they think you're trying to hide something. Right, right. And a lot of times these things are fixable too, to some degree, right? Like, yes, 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 yes. We're, you know, we have a 98% close. I have a 98% closing ratio of deals. We do because we're really good at still getting the deal fixed. Yep. Got it. Now, there might be some negotiations, there might be a lower price, there might be some different collateral. You know, there's things all the time. Like, we have a client right now where, where the buyer says, I get all the assets. No, you're not going to get all the assets, but guess what you do get? You're going to get more assets than, than what you thought you were getting because on the balance sheet, it's twelve million. After the appraisal, it's twenty-one million. But you're not going to get these these this other stuff that you thought you were going to get, and it wasn't included in the perspective. So, yes, they're fixable most of the time. When we really get stuck is when there's not the transferability language, you know, or there's a lawsuit that the seller didn't tell us about. We didn't find, you know, through research. So you just want to be open. You want to be open and upfront because if we can find out about it soon enough, we can help the sellers fix it. Got it. Before we go into due diligence. I think we were at number five in the list of six. Is that right? Yeah. Five is patrons. Mm -hmm. Okay. Five is your customer base. So most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. I'll give you an example. This company we're selling for $55 million right now. 70% is with one retailer. Oh, Wow. And we went through probably two or 300 buyers already. <laughs> so we have to find that one buyer. It's like, okay, I'm okay with that. 
which is very difficult to do. So you want customer diversification, not customer concentration. The other thing, if you've been in business 15, 20, 30 years, your, your customers are probably aging out. Right. That's why you always have to market. That's why you always have to innovate. You have to try to get the new consumers. The new consumers don't have the same buying habits as the consumers you've been dealing with all these years. So that's why marketing and innovation is key to success. You're either growing or dying. So using that example, sorry to interrupt you, that using that example, the $55 million company, and they don't have really good diversification among their customer base. What's the solution? They're basically taking a discount. Is that what they're going to ultimately... No, they're not going to take a discount. The more that we kept telling the buyer, and without me getting into too much information to give this deal away, we kept telling the buyer up front, you know, yes, they have customer concentration. These are all the reasons why. And their industry, so after the buyers have been talking to different investment bankers, I said, oh, that's common in that industry. Mm, okay. So now they're getting more comfortable with it because it is common. They can go out and get new customers, no problem. The problem is not getting new customers. The problem is having enough product to keep on the shelf with the customers they have now. Got it. So they're getting more comfortable with it. But there's been situations where you know, we sold an office supply company that had mostly government contracts. They've been in business forever. Same EIN number from, from the beginning, from the start date. And some of those contracts were getting ready to expire. So what we did is we negotiated the buyer, we, we negotiated between a buyer and seller that if they lost some of those contracts, then a percentage of the seller financing would go away just to build in some protection you know, for that buyer. So they're not paying for something they're not going to obtain. As I'm listening to you speak, I can't help but think what, how you and your team must be such great problem solvers because you're dealt with all these curveballs and oddities and little different things. And you have to think of creative ways to keep the deal together and, and to completion is, is what I'm hearing is you, you're explaining all these scenarios. Well, I'll keep everybody calm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just wine. That's just a little wine or beer, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and we're pretty, we're pretty good. You know, one of my USPs, unique selling propositions, is creativity. So I'm very creative. Now, there's been times where I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do about this? <laughs> sure, sure. And a lot of times it's just talking it through, talking it through, talking it through, and getting the buyer and seller comfortable with making some, you know, revisions or some changes. It could be change in purchase price. It could be change in the terms. It could be, like I said, more assets. You know, a lot of times it's just talking through it to see what will work out. Because if you got a willing buyer, you got a willing seller, and they really want to get the deal done, it's going. To, we're going to find a way. Right, right. We're always going to find a way. So I think we got the number six. What's the last one? So the last one is the reason we're all in business. Profits, profits, profits. Love profits. <laughs> yeah, me too. But clients will come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, nope, <laughs> you have a people problem. <laughs> you have a process problem. So like a profits is never, ever your problem. It is a symptom of not running on the other five Ps. If you're operating all five Ps, you're going to be profitable. It's, it's foolproof. <laughs> you really can't help but be profitable if you're running all five Ps. And here's the other thing too, Tyler, to, to keep in mind. There's a lot of things that go with profits, you know, Business owners got to start knowing your numbers. You need to know your KPIs, key performance indicators, right? A lot of people, are saying, they don't even know what that means. Right. And I, it was so funny. I was on the phone with a client today and I'm like, yeah, key performance indicators. 
Kelly's personal interest. <laughs> I'm like, no. And so you got to know your KPIs. You got to know your numbers. The big advice I can give you when it comes to profit alone is keep a spreadsheet because buyers, uh, sellers run personal expenses, not recurring expenses through their business. And they don't keep track of it. And then when we go to do the valuation, we're like, well, Michelle, you, you can figure that out. I'm like, no, I can't. Unless I've been living in your business for the last five years. I don't know that. We'll talk to my CPA. Well, your CPA doesn't know it either. Or they're not admitting to us that they know it. Right, right. So you need to keep a spreadsheet year by year by year, broken up into months, January through December, personal expenses, non-reoccurring. So when you do get your business evaluated, then we can do it the accurate way by recasting your financials. The other issue is that when business owners finally, because I always tell my business owners, you'll never be able to grow without letting go of the control. When I finally get them to agree to let go of control, then they trust, but they don't verify. <laughs> you know, And they don't inspect what they expect. So there are two out of five businesses, get three out of five businesses get embezzled every single year because lack of checks and balances, Lack of verifying, lack of inspecting, you know, and that can all be a huge issue with profit. The other thing with profit, in addition to operating all five Ps, is look at your overhead. You know, one thing that that, um, this pandemic did to a lot of business owners is it got them to get crystal clear on their overhead and what what they should spend money on, what they don't need to spend money on, you know, and even marketing. I would tell everybody, you should always spend money on marketing. And during this pandemic, you should double down, but only on the avenues that work for you, only on platforms that work for you. If LinkedIn doesn't work for you, don't spend money on LinkedIn. If Facebook ads don't work, don't spend money on Facebook ads. Right. Yeah. And it's back to knowing your numbers too. I'm always amazed that business owners will throw money at marketing and advertising. And then you'll say, well, what's your return on that? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not sure. Well, you just spend $20,000 on it and you don't know. No. They don't know the customer acquisition costs. Yeah, yeah. So it's, that's, that yeah. one's surprising. Do buyers get scared? You mentioned personal expenses. So they're keeping a list of personal expenses and maybe one time non- No, they're not keeping a list. They need to keep a well, list. Well, let's say they are. Okay, sorry. They're keeping a list. You know, they're, they're paying all these funky things through their business. Yeah. Does that scare buyers? Like, do buyers go, well, you know, you're doing this funky stuff through the books. I realize you're disclosing it, but that concerns me about your integrity. Is that ever an issue or? No, most sophisticated buyers know. The first time buyer might get scared because they don't really know how you know business operates. Yeah. But sophisticated buyers know there's going to be a certain level of expenses, the non-reoccurring ran through the business. They get it. They do become weary when it's excess, like huge excess. Okay. You know, let's say businesses EBITDA on paper is, let's say their, their net income on paper is a million. But yeah, off paper, it's $5 million. So they're running $4 million in personal expenses for the business. They get really wary when it's that extreme. That makes sense. And then it's going to be hard to get lending on a business that's that extreme. Because lenders are going to look at it, they detail. Right. In your book, Exit Rich, you said one thing I really loved. When you said you started your own business, you evaluated your own strengths and weaknesses and you identified what you were really good at and you knew what you you know weren't were weak at. Um, do you think business owners do that? Like, do you think they do that enough? I should say, where they even think about, hey, I really stink at this and I'm gonna need to improve on it. Why do you think that is? Because that to me, that's like the difference between being successful or not. And I have, I would agree with your answer. No, you're shaking your head. No, that's my experience too. Why is that? I, I, when I read it from you, I'm like, wow, that's so much wisdom. 
I, you know, I think some might. So, so a very few percentage ever really take inventory of their strengths and weaknesses. You know, because entrepreneurs, like I said, they're control fix number one. Right. They they have the mindset that if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. You know. And they're like, we're like bulldogs in a china cabinet, you know? <laughs> they just go in and are bulletproof and I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this. And, you know, they're going to do all this, all this stuff themselves and get it done. Like I, I was working with a company, a printing company. And he said, Michelle, I fired everybody in my company. I've done it like five times. Start <laughs> 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 all over. It's like, I can do this. I got this. I've done it five times. Well, you know, like I said, yes, you can do it that way, but it's the hard way and you're not going to get anywhere quick and you're going to burn yourself out. So you really do need to take inventory of your strengths and weaknesses and just focus on your strengths. You know, this is where I tell my clients to, to journal. Keep a journal of your ABC activities from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed for 30 days. Those A activities are only the things that you, you should be doing because those are your core competencies, like podcasts. I can't really put somebody else in here to do a podcast for me. <laughs> I think you, like, you probably have thought about it though, right? <laughs> I have thought about it because I've done over 300 podcasts. And it's, it's the same thing with like TV. You know, I yeah, can't really stick somebody in to do TV. Same thing with writing books. You know, I tried that ghostwriter stuff and it's terrible. Not doesn't work for me. It might work for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for me. So you got to think and negotiating multi-multi-million dollar deals. I love my team. I have a great team, but they can't do it like I can. You know, I'm teaching them. I'm trying. Those B-level activities are things that you're really good at that you can delegate, like evaluations, writing up prospectuses, meeting with clients. You know, a lot of that stuff I can delegate even though I'm good at. The C-level is stuff you should never do because it's, it zaps your energy. It's not about time management. It's about energy management. Right, right. That's another thing in your book. By the way, I love your book, Extra Rich. You Thank talk you. about the A, B, and Cs of of what, yep. where you should be focusing, what you should be tackling and not tackling. Hey, before we wrap up, I just have a couple more questions. One, sure. I always love to end with, if you have a business or a life tip that you could share with us uh, that we can apply. Yeah, my business tip, my business tip has always been, it's my own quote. I need to get trademarked. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, you know, I always tell everyone, it's hard to read the label from the inside of the, of the bottle. We're in the inside of a bottle in our business. It's hard to yeah. read the label from the inside of the bottle. We need an outsider's perspective to read the warning signs and keep us out of the danger zone. And I always tell business owners and entrepreneurs, find yourself a mentor. You really need a mentor. You need a mentor in, in many areas of your life. You know, if you want to work out and you want to build muscle and you want to look good, you need a coach for that. If you want to have a great relationship with your marriage, you need a coach for that, right? And so even a spiritual coach. For your business, you need a great entrepreneurial mentor that has been truly successful and has traveled down the road you want to travel. And the reason why I say, make you know, do your due diligence before you pick a mentor, because there's a lot of speakers on stage that talk about doing this and doing this and doing this, and they don't even have a home to live on. I mean, they're paying rent. They don't own a home. They don't own a car. They don't own this or that. They're living from check to check to check. So make sure you do your research because if you find the right mentor, they can shorten your learning curve dramatically. They can shorten your path to success. Learn from other people's mistakes. You don't always have to learn from your own. Yeah. 
I love that. That I love your. You should definitely trademark that. That's a, a great little quote you made up. It, it, <laughs> it's got a nice visual to it. So hey, I'll put this in the in the show notes on thinktyler.com. Your website is Siler Tucker, Siler Tucker. Mm-hmm. Dot com. Your book is Exit Rich, The 6P Method to Sell Your Business for Huge Profit. Great book. Highly recommend it. The thing about the book is it's really not about necessarily exiting in itself. It includes the whole planning to get there, which I think is ideal for any business owner. Right. Is there anywhere else you'd, you'd want people to reach out to you or get a hold of you? Sure. So just to reiterate, absolutely. SolidTucker.com. If you want to buy Exit no, you should buy Exit Rich. <laughs> So you can go. You can go to Amazon and buy Exit Rich. You can go to your favorite bookstore. You, if you're in another country, go to Amazon because the shipping cost is ridiculous. I have people trying to order from Australia and all over the world. I'm like, ah, oh, it's like a hundred dollars to ship a, a twenty dollar book. So go to Amazon if you live outside the United States. If you're in the United States, you can go to Amazon. You can go to your favorite bookstore. You can also go to ExitRichBook.com. ExitRichBook.com is is additional value. So we give you a live number one for $24.79 plus shipping. We'll email you the digital download. We'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep. We'll give you a lifetime membership to the Exit Rich Book Club. So not only do you get the book, the email and hard copy, you also get digital content, you know, I mean, training techniques and strategies I've been doing for the last 20 years in the trenches, plus documents, Tyler, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. We have example org charts employee handbooks to sell your business, sample letter of intent, purchase agreements, prospectuses, due diligence checklists, closing documents, and more. These documents will cost you over $50,000 to recreate, and they're there for your download. So definitely go to exitrichbook.com. Or even if you go to Amazon, you can always email us a receipt, and we'll still make sure that you get that additional value. And then you can go to Siler Tucker Academy and take the 6P quiz and see what are your weakest fees? What are your strongest fees? You can also take what type of business do I own and make sure you follow us on social media and listen to our podcast, Exit Rich. Awesome. I'll be sure to put all these in the, the show notes. So go to this podcast, wherever you listen to it, you'll see the links in there and uh, definitely check out that assessment. I was looking at that, Michelle, that looks awesome. So, hey, thanks so much. I appreciated you coming onto the show. Hope you can come around for another round in the future. You're, you're a blast to talk with. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. Sure. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Hey guys. It's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. 
Electric acid.